на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона Разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. We return this week after the international break has finally gone and left us and the RPL will return this weekend. But we will leave some RPL chats to one side and we're going to focus a little bit more on the Russia games. And that was, of course, Russia versus Slovakia, a 1-0 win. A 2-1 win away to Slovenia. Some under-21 matches in which they dispatched Northern Ireland 1-0 and Lithuania 3-0. Move on to some of the big news of the window in which Lokomotiv Moscow announced the successor to Marko Nikolic. And that is the German Marcus Gisdal, which has been to be fair, met with a mixed response at best (laughs) on social media amongst the Russian football echo chamber. And then we'll finish off by just a quick review of the recent Finnair action in lieu of the RPL, which hasn't took place of late. To do so, as always, I'm joined by David. Evening. And back again for the first time in a couple of weeks is Richard. Good evening, James. Good evening, David. How are we all? You know what, I'm good. It was a surprisingly nice international break. I liked the video particularly of Carpen dancing with the players. I thought that was just nice to see a little bit of a different side to him because he's been quite uptight, I think is the fair word to say, maybe, since he's been Russia boss. Uh, A little bit combative in interviews and on the defensive quite a lot. So it's good to see that side of him because, to be fair, you you did see quite a lot of him in a relaxed atmosphere at Rostov and at Spartak. And of course, it is largely just a little bit of marketing. That always is easily accepted. But it's it's nice to see after two good wins. And to quickly go into those two good wins, the first one, of course, Russia beat Slovakia 1-0 in Kazan. Uh, an early Milan Skriniar own goal led Russia to take the lead uh, before half-time. And then in the second half, Russia essentially defended for almost the entirety of the game, pretty much from the moment that they scored. Um, They only had one shot on target through the entirety of the game, while Slovakia had five shots on target from 26 attempts and 70% possession. So it's fair to say that it was one-way traffic in this one, David. Yeah, um, one-way traffic, but not high, you know, not fast traffic. Um, once, once Russia has scored their goal, and particularly after half time, they, they shifted formation. Uh, they played four at the back in the first half. Um, and we had Terrakov and, and Dorimin on the wings. Oh, uh, the fullbacks, I should say, sorry. Uh, now, obviously, Terrakov, we know, is a wing back by, by trade, and Sutomin is an attacker by trade, but has played fullback. So both of them are sort of probably more suited to playing as a as a wing back, so um, and Tirikov particularly had not had the best first half, and um, Slovakia were clearly targeting his side. So uh, Carpen switched to five at the back at half time. Yeah, went ultra defensive, um, and, and yeah, really just tried to shut up shop. Um, the signal it wasn't a pretty second half in terms of you know, trying to counter or get out. Um, Zabolotny came on at one point and I think touched the ball probably like twice. Um, just did, did just added nothing to the game, um, but Slovakia. While while you say they had like twenty odd shots, twenty six, twenty seven shots, none of them were real good 
chances. They they didn't create tons of great chances. Just um, you know, Russia Russia defended well, forced them to shoot from from bad positions or you know try long shots. Um, and uh, you know we've got to give them credit. I think uh, the stat that I put somewhere or that I read somewhere was that oh, of their 27 shots, Slovakia's XG was like 1.14, which is you know, dreadful for that many shots. It's, it's so bad. Um, so, you know, Russia, Russia, we, you know, after the game we were talking, Russia, Russia's defence were, were excellent. Um, you know, Jikia, Diveyev, Safonov were very good. Um, the, they, they made sure that Safonov wasn't, Tested particularly often. I, I haven't checked, but I don't imagine he had to make too many saves, um, like diff, not especially difficult saves. Uh, the one that I do remember was in the first half from uh, Haraslin from outside the box, which was an excellent save. Um, so yeah, well, it wasn't pretty. Uh, the goal was sort of a bit out of nothing as well, and obviously an own goal. You know, it was a good good move, good counter. That was a counter attack, and it was a Karian's cross, which was uh, just jabbed home. Uh, by screen they are. Um, but you know they got they got the job done. That was all they needed to do. Carpin obviously had a get you know, he had a game plan that was let's take the league and then sharp shop and whilst that's not pretty, um, it was an important game uh, and it worked. So all credit to to the team. They they did what they needed to on the day, particularly in, in defence. I must admit I've joked before that Marek Hamšík, now at the age of 34, having spent, what, six months or so in Sweden with Gothenburg, released after on a, released after his contract expired, went to Trabzonspor in the summer, um, two years in China. I, w- I would have thought that 34-year-old him, well past his prime, would have been like a, a prime RPL free agent signing. But to his credit, I thought he actually played really well uh, in, in the game. I thought he controlled and dictated the majority of Goings on in midfield, obviously alongside Uri Kucha, so a very and Andrea Duda as well, so a very experienced Slovakia sort of centre of the park. Um, but yeah, I agree. I thought defensively, while I didn't necessarily think that Russia needed to sit so deep um, because Slovakia weren't offering that much uh, defensively, I think they were brilliant. Jikia is continuing some excellent form this season. Arguably, I think it's arguably the most consistent I've seen him in in years uh, he's always been prone to having a wonderful a wonderful performance here or there but the level of consistency that he's shown both for Spartak and the national team and as a as trusted as a real leader I've been highly impressed with him uh, he was arguably my man of the match on the night for Russia uh, maybe him could easily give it to Deveyev and Safanov as well of course but uh, I was equally impressed by Zelimkan Bakayev. Uh, I know you had pointed out his pressing throughout the entirety of the game and his harrying of Slovakia's attack uh, and, and the defence when they were progressing the ball as something quite key for Russia, especially with 10 men behind the ball. Um, and missing Zuba, of course, is that sort of outlet. Often when you see Russia perform like this in sit deep, Zuba plays an important role because of his ability to just carry the ball away and alleviate pressure on the defence. I thought Bakayev did an excellent job because his closing down, his pressure, and his, I can imagine his the P, uh, Slovakia's PPDA was quite high because Russia sat back. 
but Bakayev was one of the ones who really took the game to them and allowed the defense to to breathe every now and again. And I think that's that structure from the top where they pressed quite high and then that real tight bank of four at the back really limited Slovakia, as you said, to that real low XG figure. Uh, Richard, who was your man of the match in the Slovakia game? Did anyone impress you in particular? Yeah, I'd probably go with um, those three players that you mentioned there, James, um, Safonov, um, Diveyev and uh, Zhikia. Um, for all three of them, you know, played very, very well in in what was, you know, it was not the best of games, let's be frank, was it? Uh, both sides, I think, you know, there was not a huge amount of clear-cut chances in the game. It was an own goal that obviously won it. Um, and as David pointed out, you know, Slovakia, whilst they might have had a lot of shots, they, their XG was low for the amount of shots that they had. And I think they only had five shots out of 27 on targets, you know, a lot of long-distance shots or shots that were very comfortable for Safonov to save. I do specifically remember Safonov making one very good save. I think it might have been just before half-time when Russia were leading 1-0 when he was dived. I think he dived at full stretch to stop a, a shot going into the net. Um, and then in the second half, one... I want to single out Zakir as well for, for a lot of praise because there was one time when I think Slovakia, they'd just broken into the box on one of the flanks of the box and were hurrying towards goal and they'd hit, they'd hit a shot and I think Zakir just got ahead and blocked it. And it was, it was a really good block, good positioning. You know, him and Deveev were excellent. Um, and I also think as well, to be fair to Russia, the performance was also conditioned by the fact that um, it is important to remember that they were missing Alexei Moranchuk and Alexander Golovin. You know, I looked at Russia's the stats earlier, and I think Russia only had twenty six percent possession in that game. But then again, when you're missing arguably your two, two of your best better players, and in the case of creativity, two of your most fundamental players in Golovin and Moranchuk, that's going to have an impact on the possession statistics and the kind of game that you can play. So, you know, based on all of that. I thought the Slovakia result was a good result. And I think Opta Ivan also had an interesting comment too about Slovakia as an opponent for the Russian national team in the fact, in the sense that I think Russia's lost their last two matches to Slovakia, which obviously was the first qualification game in Bratislava in um, in March. And then the last time Russia played Slovakia was at Euro 2016 when Slovakia won 2-1 um, in that horrendous campaign for Spornaya at the Euros in France. So they've been a bit of a bogey side for Russia in the last couple of years. So for, for Russia to get that win was crucial, even if it was a case of, of winning ugly. But yeah, I think those three players that you highlighted, there, Safonov, Diveev and um, and Shakir were, were my three who particularly um, shone and impressed in that victory over Slovakia. Mm-hmm. How do you think that Tarakov played on his, on his full debut? Uh, obviously, David mentioned that he started on the left of a four and then was shifted into his more natural and regular position at wing-back. Do you think that he could potentially take advantage of the injuries at full-back, him and Sutorman as well, to to try and stake a place? I mean, if he carries on performing for um, for Sochi, then, yeah, why not? Um, you know, there's, there's injuries at the moment. Um, you know, it's a weird feeling at 30 years of age, isn't it, making your international debut? Yeah, I thought at the beginning, yeah, there was probably a little bit of nerves there at the beginning. But yeah, I think if he continues to perform quite well, um, then you know he, he's got to keep being given a chance because you know Russia's player pool is not the highest. We all we all know that. So um, you know, I think he'll, he'll certainly still be in Karpin's thoughts. I think, especially with Sochi having a good season. But yeah, I think Samoshnikov. I think I'd like to see him hopefully come back soon. I don't know how serious his injury is, but um, but yeah, I thought 
he's, he's worth persisting with. And like I say, if he carries on performing well for Sochi and they keep doing well, I think I think Carpin will keep giving him a chance. And David, what what do you think? Is Turakov and Satorman here to stay or not really? Uh, well, I was going to ju- firstly just echo the Bukayev. I completely forgot about Bukayev and how good he was. Um, yeah, just just ran. And, and I should also mention who another player who we'll talk about probably in, after the Slovenia match, um, Kuzayev. And actually, we'll leave Kuzayev for now. But he was excellent also. Um, yeah, Turakov, I mean... He, he didn't have a good first half. Uh, second half, he missed an open goal from two yards out. Granted, he was offside, um, but he did miss, um, which wasn't good. The ball was just a little bit behind him, but he he bombed on well, at least, which was promising. But uh, probably the downside from his perspective is that the next game, he did not start and Kudryashov did. And he mm-hmm. similarly was not too good. So, yes, Russia will need Samoshnikov and Karavaya back. Uh, as soon as possible, obviously with Mario's retirement, um, that that throws a little bit of a spanner in the works. But because Caravaggio had obviously been playing left back to to accommodate Mario at right back, um, my preference would be carrying you know, with Caravaggio at right back and and uh, Smoshnikov at left back. But obviously Caravaggio can play both. And then you've got Sutomin as well. But presuming Caravaggio's back, Sutomin will lose his starting role as in it as a fullback. Um, and there'll be less chances, obviously, available. Obviously, we had Adamov in the squad this time. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't play on either game. Uh, obviously, he's then, you know, he's obviously in Karpin's mind as a as a potential for, for the fullback roles. But, um, yeah, Terekov, I think, uh, I don't think he'll be earning many more caps uh, unless there are further injuries. Uh, I think we'll, we'll end up seeing Samoshnikov and Karolaev back in at left back, uh, even if Sutomin stayed at right back, I, I think the left back will, will definitely need to be reverted because uh, both him and Kudryashov were were uh, targeted and exploited quite uh, quite well by both the teams that Russia played this break. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Now we we'll move on to the second game uh, because in the first, as you said, Terakov started at left back, and in the second. What feels like fifty-year-old plays once a year. Fyodor Kudryashov replaced him for the Slovenia match, and that was, of course, a two-one win in Maribor. Goals from the two centre-backs, Georgi Chikia and Igor Dveev. Personally, I agree with what I think you were alluding to before, David, and I'll let you wax lyrical about him now. And I think that Delakazyayev was probably the best player on the pitch in the Slovenia game. Uh, well, certainly Russia's best player. Um, you know, he was. It was just. It was just a classic Kuzayev performance. You know, I'd love to see some stats on you know distance covered and stuff uh, and sprints per game and things like that. Uh, none of the none of the platforms I've got access to have that for, for the RPL. But he, we know he will just run constantly. And that game, he was just running for the whole ninety minutes. Um, even towards the end, he was pressuring players up. Russia had some really good chances towards the end to, to kill the game off. Um, not it wasn't like a Slovakia game in that in that sense at all. Um, you know, Russia had their two goals in the first half, quickly conceded one back, and then they did defend in the second half. But unlike the Slovakia game, they they had chances on the counter attack. Um, none of them ended in a shot, or certainly not a lot of them. But they had some really good openings where there was three v two, four v two, 
a 2v1, and on all occasions, they just didn't make the most of those. Uh, the wrong pass, or a bad pass, or the defender maybe just getting a touch. Uh, but they definitely had chances to, to take that game to a, a more comfortable scoreline. Um, but, but you know, they did it. It was... It was two goals, uh, obviously from from set pieces in the first half. Russia, prior to that, had been not too bad. Uh, Savino were, I would say it was a fairly even game. Both teams were having shots and chances. Um, Russia had had a penalty awarded and then uh, overturned because I think Smolov was marginally offside when uh, Oblak took him down. but yeah, they, they got the two goals. They tried to defend. They, they exploited Kudryashov and scored back. Um, and yeah, second half was 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 a bit nervy. Um, I, I noticed that there was uh, a historical game that was being referenced a lot from, I think, 2004, where uh, Russia played in Maribor, which is where this game was being played. And both Zhirkov and Kudryashov were sent off as Russia lost to Slovenia. Um, and I think Karpin... No, I feel like... Carpin was involved in that game somehow. I don't know. Probably not though. Doesn't feel like it's his era. But uh, you know, it, it's you know there was huge pride when that whistle went. You know, there was a huge outpouring on social media of of pride and uh, adoration for the team again. You know, probably one of the well most well received Russian victories since the World Cup. Um, you would say like, obviously, this is a big big game uh, in terms of trying to get to the next World Cup. Um, and obviously, at the same time, Croatia drew their game against Slovakia, which uh, doesn't really do too much to change what Russia need to do. But, um, yeah, a, a big result, and Kuzaya w- was just fantastic in, in this particular game. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was really impressed. I agree. I thought it was just a... Prototypical Kuzayev performance. Um, that Slovenia Russia game you mentioned, I remember it was a in a it was a playoffs for the World Cup at South Africa, so it would have been twenty for the twenty ten World Cup. So it was in November two thousand and nine, and that's why it was like such a big deal. It was because it was a World Cup playoff. The losing that meant that Russia didn't qualify, um, and. It was the old, like it was obviously after two thousand and eight. Like that's such a massively successful team. If you just look through the lineup, it was like Akinfeev, Vinny's Pomp, Anyukov, Belazutsky, Ignashevich, Jan Bayev, Zhirkov, Denisov, Ziryanov, Arshavin, Belialetinov, and Pavlyuchenko. So it was like a very star-studded team at the at the time, managed by Hiddink, who did so well. Um, and yeah, it was Kershakov and Zhirkov were sent off. I think Zhirkov got like two yellow cards in two minutes right at the end of the game. So that was very much as like a, a revenge mission, really. And it was the first time that, as you said, Russia had played Slovenia um, in Slovenia since then. And obviously, the first time I played Slovenia was the other round of this, the other, the other leg of this sort of tie. Um, so it was very much a one long in the memory that, that hurts quite a bit because of the manner of the manner of the loss and and everything and everything around it so it was a little bit of i think they called it like even on the the official team spawnaya like our team russia twitter account even called it like revenge i think it was the word they said so personally i think that's a bit much but like i say i'm not 
emotionally invested in it. So if you are emotionally invested in it and remember that vividly, I can understand being so disappointed at the result considering how good that team was. But Richard, what were your thoughts more in general about the match? Do you think this was a better performance than the Slovakia game? Yeah, I think it was a better performance. Um, I had a look at the stats for it um, just recently. I think it was 11 shots by Russia with six on target and they had 45% possession and Slovenia had 15 shots with only five on target and they had 55% possession. So you could instantly tell that with Mirancic in the side, you have a, a more creative midfield. Um, obviously, you know, they still, you know, Golovin is still going to come back into that side and when he does come back, that's a big help. So I think really considering both the games and this international break, I think it was just a, a classic case of just getting through, you know, and I think fair dues to Carpine, you know, I think this was, you know, a tough international break, you know, it's only his second international break as Russia manager, only his third and fourth, sorry, fourth and fifth game, fourth and fifth game as Spornaya manager. And, you know, you have to hand it to him. He's, he's gone out and got six points out of six. You know, I was not probably not expecting Russia to get six points in this international break, especially when we, we were documenting, you know, I remember on last week's, listen to last week's pod, you know, all the injuries, that he had to contend with, players withdrawing from the squad, no Golovin and Miranchuk in midfield. So I think this second game against Slovenia was a better performance than Slovakia. Um, but all things considered, I think it was just a classic case, this this international breaker just getting the points, making do. If they'd have got four points out of six, it wouldn't have been a bad scenario either. But to get six, I think that's a really good thing. And, you know, it's, it's guaranteed minimum narrow playoffs spot for mm. Russia, which is good. Obviously, Slovakia... After you know their World Cup hopes went up in flames when they lost to Russia in Kazan, then did Russia a favour by drawing against Croatia? So now Russia are back on top of this group, and it is in their own hands now going into those final two games against Cyprus and Croatia in November. Um, and yeah, you know there was obviously the as you mentioned there, James, the avenging the two thousand nine you know World Cup qualifying playoff defeat to Slovenia. Um, so that that's also been done as well. Again. Got to, praise, got to praise the two centre defenders, uh, Shakir and um, Deveev, both excellent. I'm really happy with Safonov in this international break. I hope now that he gets a run of um, of games. Um, now with the national team, I'm glad that he's moved on from Guillermo. That's another positive from Carpine. Fomin's set pieces were good. You know, the first goal came from a Fomin set piece. Um, where Deveev headed home. And I think, I think he did he take the corner for... Um, did he take the corner for... Um, Shakir's brilliant overhead kick. I think he might have done. I thought Fomin had a decent game, set-piece deliveries. Agria echoed thoughts about Kuzayev. thought he was excellent. Um, he's having a really good season. He's showing the Kuzayev form of two seasons ago once again. So, yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of positives to take out of this international break uh, from Russia's point of view. And, you know, they just need four points in these last two games now to top the group and qualify for the World Cup. So, you know, definitely a lot more positives to come out of this international break, um, even in spite of the limitations that Karpin had to work with. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest take out of this, obviously, a little bit. Worries regarding, we had some worries regarding the composition of the squad because of the sheer amount of injuries and players missing for various reasons for fatigue and whatever else. And to be after a difficult away game and a home game where, while, yes, Slovakia may not be necessarily performing to their standards, to a standard, they are still a team that. Uh, we're at the Euros, or by no means slouches in any way. 
and are probably a similar similar level ability to Russia, maybe not quite as good when you get the full national pool, but similar in terms of ability, they are, are, are good. So to like you said, we both said to get six points out of this and the international break is top of the group ahead of Croatia with a vastly deplete, depleted squad now unbeaten in five games under Karpin, uh, including play already having playing Croatia and drawn nil nil. Uh, it's kind of it's it's becoming a quite a successful campaign so far. Uh, the next two games will be, and the final two games in the group, this group qualifying stages will be Russia versus Cyprus and Croatia versus Russia in early to mid November. So it's a lot of it's going to come down to that last game. You'd think that Croatia match and whether Russia could steal first ahead of them, but we'll cover that at the next international break and to quickly finish off our international section of the pod. Uh, the under-21s also had two games. Uh, first of all, playing Northern Ireland under-21s uh, in Him- in Himke. Uh, the 1-1-0 with a goal courtesy of Danila Prokin. Uh, David, you watched both games. How did they play against Northern Ireland? Uh, yeah. Um, Northern Ireland, I thought, was going to be a-, a walkover because in the last break, they'd lost 4-0 to Malta, who Russia had roundly beaten 6-0. Um but they were much better than I than I thought. I mean, I was looking at the squad, and you've, they they had a number of established players from various levels of the English football league. Um, so I was surprised, a little surprised that they'd lost to Malta so convincingly, um, because they they were fairly good uh, against Russia. Didn't offer a great deal in attack. Had one or two attack good attacks in the first half, but certainly didn't seem like terrible like I was surprised that they'd lost so badly to Malta um, Russia had an early goal ruled out offside it, it wasn't offside it, it should have stood it was Kusevic. Um and then the, the winning goal came from a, from a corner Lukinov sliced his shot and it just dropped to the feet of Prokin who, who just had the tap in really um, but decent performance um, certainly lacking in wingers in the squad they just had Karapuzov and and uh, Klusevich, uh, and when Karapuzov went off at half-time, Ignatov came on, and, and Ignatov struggled from a from a wide position. Um, but that, that was a you know it was a good result in the end. Uh, they they didn't have a great deal further chances, um, but they they limited Northern Ireland also, who um, to to maybe one or two chances right at the death where they they started pushing for it. Um, so all good there. Uh, and then the Lithuania game was uh, eventually. I mean, it was a fairly straightforward game. They just couldn't score in the first half. Um, Chukarvin had a couple of good efforts saved. Um, but then once they broke the deadlock in the second half uh, through Chukarvin, um, it, it then quickly uh, devolved for Lithuania. I think they conceded three times in sort of 10, 15 minutes. Um, an own goal through, through some pressure from Chukarvin and Sulimanov. Uh, guy passed it back to his goalie quite maybe a bit too aggressively from the edge of his own penalty area and Chukarvin and Sulimanov were both you know within a yard of him so the goalie had to just kick it first time and he completely air kicked it it just rolled into the net um and then it was a, a good third goal a good movement from Chukarvin pulled off at the back post and uh, had a tap in from Americas Philly cross uh, then we had some debuts from from Leon Klaassen the the Austrian based player got on and played the last few minutes. He actually did play on the wing. Um, 
came on for for someone I forget who, <laughs> maybe Klusevich actually and played on the left flank for the last ten minutes, and uh, Kuzmichov from from Morale also played uh, the last few minutes. So a couple of debuts, um, certainly lacking the squad in the wide players. The two Spanish-based players, Yosifov, um, who, is, who I believe now Yosifov has scored or assisted in his last four games for Villarreal's second team, who play in the Spanish third tier. Uh, and has also appeared on the bench for Villarreal's senior team at least twice. Um, so I was surprised that he wasn't called up. Maybe it was, you know, maybe it was to do with the pandemic and they couldn't get him because he was clearly fit he was playing. Uh, but him and Sivitian were both, I thought, fairly good in the last international break. And the squad needs more wingers, uh, definitely. Karapuzov was hit and miss in the first game when he played the first 45. Didn't play at all in the second, or if he did, only the last few minutes. So we need we need some more Russian wingers uh, in this age group. When you think domestically, who's available? They're either slightly too old or maybe slightly too young if we're looking at players like you know, maybe Pinyaev or one of the Sheetov twins or maybe Melnikov. Um, but, you know, for, if we're, we're looking to get someone with some more experience, then uh, the two guys from Spain, I think, need to be in, in the next squad. But two good wins and uh, they should be okay to finish second in this group after Spain. Yeah, yeah, you'd think so. Uh, and obviously in that second match, Russia beat Lithuania 3-0 away from home. Uh, Brace and Konstantin Tukavin set them off to the victory. Um, what happened to Niall Umyarov towards the end of that game? Because he's now going to miss what's expected to be, what, a month, I believe, isn't it? Yeah, he um, he just took a took a heavy challenge. And uh, from what I could could gather, um, he, he was helped off by two two staff, not carried off, but, you know, where they're supporting him on, the, on either arm. Um, with his boot off, I think it was his... Uh, he was his left ankle, if I recall, but uh, you know, limp, limped off with what I presume is you know an ankle sprain of some sort. The the technical term is like torn caps, slightly torn capsula muscle or something like that, which I think is just a science word for sprain because a sprain essentially does involve tearing of muscles, even if not full tears. You know, sprains are tears, so I think he just uh, yeah quite badly sprained his ankle and uh, had to come off, which is a shame. Um, Spartak obviously struggling for midfield numbers, but I believe Hendricks and Zobnin uh, are both back uh, and available. So mm-hmm. not a huge blow. Uh, a shame because Umyarov and Lutvinov were so good together in those last couple of games before the international break. And Umyarov has been on particularly good form this season. Uh, quite rarely is the captain for the under-21s. Uh, and it, it's funny, like I, I think back to when uh, I, I remember very distinctly, we have a friend of ours who's... Um, a scout, uh, a top club in in the UK, uh, but he has a f- an interest in Russian football, and he's in one of our chats. And I remember he was in Russia once and commented on Umyarov when he went to see a Chetanov game when Umyarov was just seventeen. And I'll, I can go find a message for you afterwards potentially. Um, so it's nice to see, you know, that him he's he's come such a long way, uh, and you know, still still only twenty, and I think uh, playing better than ever. Yeah, yeah, certainly I echo that entirely. I think this season's been a real mature season for Niall Amyarov and it's unfortunate to see him pick up this injury, but these things do happen. Uh, I know for a fact Zobodin is expected to be back, 
for this weekend. Whether or not he starts, he's fit to start. I'm not quite sure, but he's expected to be in and around the squad again. Uh, not quite sure on Hendricks. Not quite sure if it make that much of a difference. <laughs> but no, they, they do need numbers in there, obviously, uh, with Umiarov's injury and Kral's departure in the summer. Um, so a shame to see him injured, but another, like I say, good two wins and good two performances from the under twenty one. So looking pretty decent on all levels for and all the top top end levels for the for Russia at the moment. Uh, we will now divert from international football and to Moscow. Uh, of course, during the international break, it all kicked off in Moscow. We've covered last week and. The week before, the rumours regarding Marokko Nikolic and then the eventual sacking and analysed the sacking a little bit. So, Richard, because you've had a couple of weeks off, um, first of all, what do you think about the Nikolic sacking? Yeah, so um, regards to Nikolic, um, yeah, I was listening to the pod last week, obviously, and, you know, the news came. It was, I say, I agree with kind of what David said on the pod, whereby Ranyak and Zorn were caught, uh, we're sort of kind of looking for a, any kind of reason to to um, to move Nikolic on because obviously you know they didn't appoint him and they want to bring in their own guy. Um, you know, any kind of bad run of questionable run of form from Lokomotiv. You know, they haven't been playing particularly well. I think Nikolic hadn't won. I think in the last five, four or five matches in all competitions, five or six maybe. So you know, it was obviously the kind of time when. The kind of run of form where you know Zorn and Ranyit were probably going to use against him to you know probably look to influence replacing him. Um, I feel a little bit sorry for him because obviously we've heard all the stories, haven't we? Come out about you know some of the signings not being you know not being consulted on the signings, but obviously when you have directors of football at clubs, that sometimes does happen. You know the manager, although you would like to think you know that the manager would get some set some say in it. With, with the director of football, there will be some consultations. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of a sad way for it all to come to an end because I really enjoyed Nikolic's time at Lokomotiv. I think, you know, he well and truly silenced the doubters who, um, you know, were critical of him when he came in, you know, to replace, obviously, a club legend in Yuri Schumann. But I thought last season, you know, he, he led Lokomotiv to the Cup. Um, you know, second place the season before, steadied the ship nicely after Schumann left and then you know some good performances in Europe against Atletico Madrid in both those matches honourable loss to Bayern at home honourable draw with Salzburg away so I will be sad to see Nikolic go um, and I hope he can find himself um, a new job sometime soon in the upcoming future uh, upcoming months and obviously Lokomotiv have disclosed his replacement uh, Marcus Gisdol um, so yeah, we'll have to see. This is obviously on Ranić now. He hit him and Zorn will have been influential in this firing of Nikolic and hiring of Gisdol. So we'll have to see how this this comes about. Um, it's a big gamble from them, but at least with the international break, it was a time for them to you know make the change. And they've not they've not lost any extra club matches. They've done it during the international breaks. So, but yeah, it's it's a gamble from them, but for the from both of them, from Zorn and Ranić. So. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll have to see how it goes because I certainly think with the amount of money Lokomotiv spent this summer and the players that they brought in, that they they can challenge for a title. So, be a fascinating couple of months ahead, let's just say. And on Gisdol, of course, it's very early to make any form of judgment, but 
immediately after the announcement, let's be fair to say that those who know German football were less than enthused about the appointment. Um, Richard, you've been doing a little <laughs> bit of research into Gisdol, so what have you found out about him? Yeah, um, I'm looking into Gisdol's career. He retired in 1996 as a player after a career mainly spent in the lower leagues of German football. Uh, his first major coaching role was at Stuttgart's reserve team. Between 2005 and 2007 at Stuttgart 2, he achieved 7th and 3rd place finishes in the Regional Liga Sud. That was, that was then Germany's third tier. Uh Further stints in the lower leagues of German football followed over the next two years before Gisdol then became manager of Hoffenheim's reserves, Hoffenheim 2 in 2009. And here in a two-year spell, he won promotion from the German fifth tier to the fourth tier in his first season and then achieved the fifth place finish in the fourth tier the following season with Hoffenheim's reserves. Um, intriguingly, the manager at Hoffenheim's first team when Gisdol was in charge of Hoffenheim's reserves was none other than Ralf Ranić himself. Um, and then in March 2011, uh, Rangit left Hoffenheim to take the vacant Schalke job and Gisdol joined Rangit in Gelsenkirchen uh, as Rangit's assistant um, where he was there for the entirety of, of Rangit's spell there. Uh, he was appointed Hoffenheim first team manager on the 2nd of April 2013 with just seven matches left in the 2012-13 Bundesliga season. Um, he led them to an eventual 16th place finish in a promotion relegation playoff against Kaiserslautern of the two Bundesliga and uh, Hoffenheim won that game over two legs to preserve their top flight status. And in 2013-14, Gisdol had arguably his best spell in management so far with Hoffenheim. He led them to ninth and eighth placed finishes respectively in the Bundesliga in those two seasons. Uh, key players he developed during this time include Roberto Firmino, who of course later on would join Liverpool. Nicolas Sula became a first-team regular at Hoffenheim under Gisdol. And then current Leicester City defender, you know, former Borussia Mönchengladbach and Southampton defender Yannick Vestergaard. Um, he was sacked early in the 2015-16 season at Hoffenheim after a run of poor results. His next managerial job was Hamburg in September 2016 and he, he helped them survive in the one Bundesliga. I think it was with a 14th place finish. However, in January 2018, he was sacked after some poor, after poor results with Hamburg. Um, and come the season 10, Hamburg were relegated from the Bundesliga for the for the very first time. Um, and then partway through the 2019-20 season, he joined Cologne. He led, he led the Billy Goats to a 14th place finish in the 2019-20 Bundesliga season before then being sacked in April 2021 with Cologne, struggling in 17th place and in the Bundesliga relegation zone. Um, some pieces I've read on Gisdol indicate his favoured formation is reportedly a 4-2 Three uh, one, which is um, interesting, and I guess what you could say is is that this is an appointment where, yeah, I can sort of understand the the let's just say the lack of enthusiasm for it or mixed response to it at best in when when the news when the news broke. Um, obviously, he looked like he did quite a decent job with Hoffenheim, you know, stabilizing them in the mid table of the Bundesliga, but then since then it's sort of all gone a bit downhill. Uh, you know, uh, spells at Hamburg and Cologne not been particularly great. Although, um, in the case of Hamburg, I guess you could p possibly defend the fact that the season before Hamburg got relegated from the Bundesliga, they were sort of dicing with death anyway. I, I seem to remember 
I think between 2013 and 2016, there were three seasons in a row where they survived in the relegation playoffs. So you could make the argument, the issues at Hamburg, whilst Gisdol didn't do particularly well there, the issues at Hamburg were more long-term. Um, you know, a bit like Tedesco at Schalke, you know, Tedesco did well at Schalke one season, not so good the second season and was sacked. But the issues at Schalke obviously showed to be long-term because so many managers went there and failed. So I guess you could argued that in his defence with Hamburg. Obviously, Cologne, yeah, again, wasn't great. So this is probably a drinking in the last chance saloon appointment, really, from um, from Gisdol's point of view. He needs to impress here at Lokomotiv, otherwise, you know, his chances of getting decent level employment going forward are, um, are going to be compromised. When you go to Germany for a, a, a manager, you're not you're not going to Russian Premier League clubs are not going to attract the very best German coaches. They're just they're just way out of sync. You know the guy who followed on from Gisdol at Hoffenheim was you know a certain Julian Nagelsmann, and obviously with him impressing there, he's gone on to Bayern Munich. So you know it is them it is what it is. You're not going to get the very best coaches from Germany coming to the RPL, but you'd hope hopefully Gisdol won't be won't be as 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 uninspiring as what we're led to believe and what we've the impression that we've got from people who watch German football a lot more than what we do obviously you know it's concerning when you when they give you the viewpoint of that of, of his time especially his last couple of jobs at Hamburg and Cologne but just fingers crossed I, I really hope Ranić has made the right call here um, because because yeah I think sacking Nikolic and then bringing in a manager whose last couple of jobs have not been great is a huge gamble um, so we'll just have to wait and see how it goes. Uh, they've done it during an international break, as I mentioned earlier, so they've not really lost any um, any games, any league matches, and they've been in a stuttering run of form. So hopefully he can, you know, he's had a couple of days on the training ground, hopefully with the players, and they've, you know, responded what he, to what he wants to do, and they can get, get going off the mark quickly. There's two massive games against Galatasaray coming up in the Europa League, and, you know, the, the games come thick and fast now as the Christmas period as we approach the autumn and winter period, so and the, and the break, so he's gonna have to find his feet quickly. But just all I can say is, is that hopefully it's a good appointment. You know, hopefully the doubters will be proven wrong, and you know maybe he might be a success. But we'll just have to wait and see because obviously it's had a very mixed response, and understandably so. But yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, I think if you're a Bundesliga avid watcher and no. About more about Gisdol, if you get in touch with us on on Twitter, of course, at Russ Football News, and let us know your thoughts regarding Gisdol in general. Um, personally, I don't have a huge knowledge base upon his tenure. I don't watch a great amount of German football, to be honest, but I'm willing to give him a chance. Uh, Rangnick, obviously, from the start, I think, David, you called this, uh, that you were... Not surprised that Nikolic was uh, had departed, and that was under pressure because of because Rangnick and Zorn came in and wanted to do everything their way. Even less so surprised that he's a German coach. I think that was the writing on the wall from the very start. But David, what do you think about Gisdol's appointment? Do you have do you much? Have you heard, uh, seen much about him or not? Um, I mean, I'd never heard of him before. Um, so therefore, it's very hard to have any opinion. Uh, of my own, really. Uh, I've not, I've not looked into his past. It would be very difficult for for someone like me who doesn't have that German football knowledge base. But um, you know, those those people who who we know and trust, uh, obviously not giving 
the most glowing of reviews um, for say in comparison to, to Schwartz who by the way celebrated a year at Dino yesterday um, Schwartz was getting fairly decent sort of talk before he came across um, but but this one seems you know it doesn't it's it's not it doesn't bring a lot of uh, hope to the table but uh, there's not much we can do but just watch and see uh, if it all crumbles to the ground um, you know it'll be uh, on Zorn and Ragnick's head if Ragnick even stays obviously he's been linked with with the Newcastle job uh, what with their recent news um, so we'll see, we'll see what happens you know he's already it's it's such a big thing and yet because it happened in the international break, he's come in and started taking charge already with very little sort of um, fanfare about it. You know, he, he was just sort of seemingly very quietly popped into place and there he is coaching Locomotive Moscow suddenly. Um, so yeah, we'll have to see how he gets on, obviously. Uh, an unknown quantity, foreign managers are very, very much hit and miss uh, in Russia. So... Um, We'll see, we'll see how it goes. He's he's got a whole new squad to to tame. You know, it's a very different looking locomotive from this time last year. Yeah, it's it's very clear that they're edging towards the German route. Obviously, with Rangnick and Zone coming in, and then Gizdol as well, mirroring the plan that Spartak had to an extent. Um, mainly just the appointment to Desco, not a lot. A huge amount of planning going on behind the scenes. That's uh, to no surprise. But in particular, Dinamo, who have really taken to Sandro Schwartz and Zlatko Buvac with their Bundesliga expertise. But Richard, any final words on Loco and the appointment of Gisdol? Yeah, on, on Gisdol, I just want to say as well that I know that there was a couple of other managers that were linked with the job, wasn't there? There was talk of Lucien Favre, although don't actually be surprised if he's the one who ends up at Newcastle soon, because obviously with the takeover, you'd think Steve Bruce is on very thin ice now. Um, there was talk of Robert Klaus, wasn't there, at Nuremberg, but obviously Nuremberg are going to be one of the stronger sides in two Bundesliga. I think you know they're normally a side who I've seen play a lot of time in the Bundesliga in the past, but through keeping an eye on the league here and there, and you know, they, they might have approached Nuremberg for, for Klaus, but maybe Nuremberg demanded a large compensation fee. And obviously, the issue of moving managers, managers moving jobs mid-season is never easy. So maybe they maybe Lokomotiv were probably constrained by what they could do, who they could appoint. They might have, might have had to go for someone out of work. So, yeah, I mean, the references we've not got, the references we've got from people who know German football, obviously a lot more than what we do, have been, let's just say, very mixed at, at best. But... I'm like you, James. I'm prepared to give him a chance. Um, and, you know, it's, it, foreign managers are often very hit and miss in Russia, like what David said too. So we'll just have to give him a chance and wait and see. But it might have also came down to availability. That That is an important fact to realise as well. You know, getting managers to move mid-season is not easy. And, you know, maybe the, the club might, mm-hmm. might have demanded too much compensation to release them. I mean, who knows? But we'll just have to... Mm, but if that's the case, then don't sack Nikolic. That's a... It's the last word on Gizdol before we do move on to the Finnael. Um I implore people to go out and find the the local Twitter photo they put up of Zorn introducing Gizdol to the players. And it's really it's it's weird. 
it 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 just looks like like something like Uncanny Valley, like like you would see out of like a a sitcom like uh, Arrested Development or, or Seinfeld or Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's just so bizarre. It's you've got Zorn there with a roll neck on, um, kind of introducing Gizdol, who's standing in head to toe loco training gear. But the pose that Gizdol's doing, it's kind of like he's posing for like one of the old like nineties like catalogue magazines that you would used to see. And it, it's just really bizarre. And like the players are just like watching on in the foreground. It's such a weird <laughs> photo. But um good luck to Gizdol. Uh I think he's gonna probably need it looking at the early reaction uh, in some of Loco's recent form. But if we do drop down from RPL matters and to Finnael. David, you've been champing at the bit to get back into some Finnael action. So, would you like to give a quick summary of some of the recent goings on down in the second tier? It's uh, it's turning into a very interesting and competitive season. Um, we've got teams who are, have come into form having started the season poorly, and we've got teams who are dropping form after starting the season really well. Um, Top of the league are Orenberg, clear by five points, so not a huge distance, but um, still the team who are, who have shone the, the brightest uh, on the whole. Uh, Joel Fermier, their they're sort of big man with nine goals so far this season. Uh, then the, the chase for the playoffs is you know, incredibly exciting. Uh, I was talking on, on Twitter yesterday with a couple of uh, agents who work uh, heavily in the Fermier, and you know, they, were, they were both talking previously about how you know, how excellent the season is. So from second place, which is currently Torpedo Moscow, with 32 points, uh, down to how far do we go to keep this sort of... Uh, we'll go down to ninth, which is Spartak 2 uh, on 25 points. So that's seven points there separating seven teams. Uh, so we've got Torpedo and Alania, who are currently tied on 32, Skaharovsk on 31, Neftichimik and Fakel on 30, Velos on 27, Akron and then Spartak 2 are both tied on 25. And then even Kamaz are 24. And then there's a fair, then there finally is a gap. So the top 10 um, are sort of a step above the next group. Um, Akron were one of the teams who, are, who I was going to mention. Uh, just won their fifth game on the bounce, um, having started the season incredibly poorly uh, and have therefore flown up into the top eight. Um, Olympe Dolgoprudny, who also started the season very poorly. They're sort of the new um, the squad's basically built up of players from Chertanova and Kimki, and um, you know they have a lot of Kimki players on loan there. So a lot, a lot of Moscow-based players you know, following the, the sort of decline of Chertanova. Um, so a very young squad there, but they've also hit some form recently and are climbing up out of the relegation zone. Um, Rotor, want to mention who not looking very good at all. Um, currently 12th on the same number of points as Olympia Brittany, to be fair. But, um, you know, for the squad that they have, you know, obviously they were relegated from the RPL last year. Um, not a lot of that squad stayed, but there's a good core still there and they, you know, they have clearly some money to spend. Um, but they haven't got it going this season at all and it's been um, very underwhelming uh, for them this season and they lost... Uh, yesterday, I believe, to Kuban, who are rock bottom of the table uh, with just 11 points. So that wasn't good for them uh, at all. And Baltica are on the same number of points, and they're also struggling. They recently changed their manager uh, and put Sergei Mishevich in charge. 
he then lost his first game yesterday to Volgar, who are second bottom in the league. So uh, two World Cup stadiums featuring teams who are really struggling this year um, in Rotterdam and Baltica, both who are teams who are tipped to, to go on a promotion charge. Um, but yeah, they're, they're struggling. Um, teams who are, who are really flying at the moment uh, all have goal scorers. Uh, Torpedo have Amal Kalmakov, who's uh, joint top scorer in the league with 11. Uh, Skarhabarovsk have David Karayev, who also has 11, their fourth place over in the Far East. And uh, Nifty Humic, who are fifth um, under uh, Koklov, right? The, uh, the ex-Dinamo coach. Um, got a good young core they're going with a lot of ex-Dinamo players. Uh, Denisov, uh, Moskvichov is there as well. Um, and they've got um, Alexander Yushin, um, who's scored 11 goals this season from midfield, uh, 26 years old. So he's absolutely flying. Um, and they're, they're really making a push. So we've got a really competitive um, top sort of race for the title, um, as it were, or race for the playoffs. Um, we should also give mention, I, I mentioned very, very briefly, that Velez Moscow, who uh, had their squad absolutely torn apart last season. Um, obviously, last year they were promoted. They had a really good season, finish, uh, finished, I think, top six in the end. Then the whole squad got decimated this summer. Manager disappeared, went off to Ufa, as we know, um, as did several other players, went up to the Premier League. They they essentially have a brand new squad of guys who all came up from the third tier, uh, and they're flying. They're still doing really well, uh, currently seventh place. Um, and they've got one of my favourite players in the league, Artur Galoyan, who's, who's got seven assists this season, the young 21-year-old midfielder, who was very close to joining Siska in the summer until uh, Ibiza Olic. Uh, left the club, at which point his transfer was cancelled, and then his backup move to Ufa was also cancelled because they had, Ufa had already gone and signed someone else. So he ended up back at Velez after all of that, and, and is you know, playing really well. Uh, at the bottom, uh, I said we've already mentioned Volgar and Kuban, who were Kuban struggling horribly after promotion. Volgar really just not playing well at all. Uh, Stilshik having a fairly good run, and as are Metaloglipetsk. Uh, both have won a couple of games of late and are trying to get up out of the top, uh, out of the bottom four. Um, and at, at this point, you know, it's it's clubs like Baltic and Rotor who are looking like they could fall into that relegation race or relegation battle, as it was. Uh, but the bottom four are four points adrift, as it is. Um, Mitterleg 17th and Vienna State just above in, in 16th. So uh, a bit of, bit of difference there, a bit of space. Um but yeah, that's sort of uh, the state of the league uh, at the moment. Uh, very exciting, very exciting uh, season. So it's Neftakiemix is the the other former Dinamo guide. So it's Kirill Novikov. Oh, okay. But um, Koklov at Rotter. How is? Oh, yeah. obviously Koklov, former Dinamo manager. Speaking of people who used to be based in Moscow, Katar Kosanov obviously made the move to Alania Vladikavkaz last year. Uh, Alania f- under my favourite manager, because he's an absolute nutcase, Spartak Ogniev. I've just missed out on the playoffs last year. How are they doing this season? Obviously with Bachelors, Gertsiev. Gertsiev seemingly in quite good form as well. I think he's got among the highest of like goals to games ratios in the league. Yeah, um, Gogniev actually was... I haven't looked for a translation of his presser, but he was very 
angry in his press conference yesterday because Alania actually lost the game for the first time in a little while. Um, 2 1 to Akron, who, as I said, were, were on particularly good form. Um, and he, I just saw a very small snippet of him uh, looking very exasperated um, and feeling like, I mean, we've already, he's already had a ban last year for attacking a referee, and I felt like he was going to attack half the journalists in that press conference. Um, yeah, they're, they're flying again. You know, that team that were denied a chance at the playoffs last year because of COVID and their lack of uh, the stadium, which they're, um, you know, they're trying to get sorted. Um, lots, lots of players contributing really well. Gertziev has six, uh, six goals and has only made two starts, but has played in 15 games in total. So he's appeared in almost every match. But almost always off the bench, uh, a bit like you know, how Shappy used to play for uh, for uh, for Krasnar, you know, so effective off the bench. Uh, although he did manage the hat trick in one game, which uh, did boost his his stuff. Um, Nikolai Giorgio Biani, if you remember him, uh, who from a, a short spell at Ufa a couple mm. of years ago, um, he's playing really well. Three goals, four assists this season. I mean, the numbers. They haven't got. They're one of the only players, clubs in the top sort of five who haven't got a really big goal scorer. Gertzie with six is there. He's their top scorer. They've got goals and assists coming from all over their squad, which is generally a young one. Gugliani with three goals, four assists. Gutsamagomedov uh, with one goal, five assists. David Kobasov, who is one of the two Kobasov brothers, um, he's the younger of the two, and he's having an excellent season. He's I think on four goals, four assists now from midfield. Um, he, he's looking like a a promising young midfielder there. Um, and obviously the, the two defenders, Kochev, who almost moved to Belgium in the summer, and Shavakov, both of those have chipped in with goals and assists as well. Um, so it's a whole squad effort going on. And um, they're still maybe missing a, an out-and-out striker. You know, the fact they haven't got a guy scoring. You know, they create so many chances. They've not got a really big goal scorer who starts you know, every game. They've got a young striker, Eldar Rushev, who, who came from... Uh, one of the Mahashkala clubs last year, he was playing at in the PFL. And he's got three goals uh, and an assist, um, having only made five starts. Um, but, you know, he's still only 19, hasn't got a lot of experience. Um, it would be great if they could get a striker. Uh, obviously, we, we know, we can see that they they like to get players in from the Caucasus. Um, a lot of their squad are from that region, from Vladikavkaz or uh, southern Russia, so... Maybe they're that's limiting them, but if they can do, then they'll be a, a fearsome unit because they they score and create chances like there's no tomorrow. You know, it makes them a bit vulnerable back, and they're a very fun team to watch. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think uh, if they can get the stadium squad, they, they would be a big contender for for promotion. Yeah, I remember Nikolai Gogiovani for his time at Chaika Pescheparans, but I knew I was going to get it wrong, and I, I never get ever pronounce that correctly for his time at Chaika um, before he joined Ufa, yes, yep. yes, because he was at Sochi as well, uh, before he joined Ufa and uh, Chaika now of course are in, for everyone listening, are in the Fina L2 and if you look at the their particular group in the Fina L2 which I think it's group 1 I think theirs is, um, it's Chaika a second with 28 points from 12 games behind Scar Rostov on Don, and in there are also Dinamo Makachkala and Angie. Um, mm. I get into this because Angie actually, speaking of the Makachkala teams, there's two of them there. Uh, Angie are now bottom of the group with just 
was 25. That's not points. That's wrong. Right, but Angie at bottom of the group, I think, uh, or the fifth in the group, sorry, um, and struggling quite a bit. So as, as a little Angie update, because you mentioned Makic Carla, uh, it's not going well for them, unfortunately. So hopefully they can... I thought I'd seen them, they were like one of the teams going for promotion. Oh, this is... Unless this There's so many Makachkala teams in there. There's three teams uh, from Makachkala in that league. Hey, I'm <laughs> I think they're the, like in the top five. I'm looking at the Finna L2 table. Unless the Finna L2 table hasn't been updated in a long time, which to be fair, I wouldn't put it past the people who run the Finna L2 website <laughs> because it's still called ppl-russia.com. <laughs> I only literally looked. It's, it's funny you talk about this because I literally only looked at the tables like yesterday because I was like, who's who's coming up? Maybe even was today. I can't actually remember. I was, right. I was just intrigued as to who was coming An- up. Angie of promotion. Uh, yeah, and it's like seventeen teams. Yeah, so I think they're doing. And okay. GFF, they're doing, they're doing fine. They're doing better than I thought. Mm. Thanks, PFL, L two website, <laughs> for still thinking that you're the PFL. It's been what for three, three and a half months now, and they still haven't updated any of that. Wonderful. I'm not surprised in the least. But anyway, and that's uh, really? absolute mess up. Yeah, look at the URL. It's still pfl russiacom Oh, they've got a new website. I'll send you it after this. Why the why does this one still active? I don't know. <laughs> why is the old website still got news so on it? The Fenio, it was updated yesterday. The Feniel <laughs> website, as we know, is onefeniel.ru, and I was yeah. like, well, naturally they should go to feniel.ru, but they've not. They've gone to feniel.com, uh, and that does appear to be up to date. Right. Well, the pfl russiacom which is the old website, it is shutting down. <laughs> it, it, the news still gets updated. I, I, I hope there's just there's one guy in like Makachkala just keeping the news section running while the rest of the website dies. <laughs> oh God. Right. Anyway, before I um, embarrass everyone even more so with my lack of following the PFL because it's a farmers league, uh, we'll be back next week for the usual time. Um, this weekend we've got. Quite an exciting round of fixtures as the RPL does return. Um, of course, the biggest one is another Moscow derby, probably about the 14th of the season, as Spartak take on Dynamo. Uh, elsewhere, Krylia Nizhny, Krasnodar Ufa, um, Ural Siska, Ural trying to keep up their really good run of form of, of late. And a little bit of a RFN derby is Ruben play Lokomotiv. For now, though, this has been the Russian Football News Podcast. Bye for now. Идет футбольный матч, летит над полем мяч. Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь. Но мяч берет ноги решительный вратарь. Не напрасно футбольное поле самых ловких и смелых плечов. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, быстрота, увлечение, расчет.